All right, guys, good morning again to you, and uh, let's get into the Word of God this morning. We are in uh, the book of Acts on Sunday mornings in chapter 23, picking up in verse 11 uh, of chapter 23 here this morning. We'll uh, go through verse uh, 35, which is the end of chapter 23, so uh, Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 35, and um, Here we continue to follow uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, now in Roman custody. And the the Lord knows who needs to be reached with the gospel and how best to reach them. And while this meant great trials for Paul, God tells him essentially, you're right where I want you. And I would say this, that Perhaps this morning you would change your circumstances if you could. And perhaps when we're done, maybe you will reconsider seeing that maybe you're right where God wants you to be. So we're going to see how the Lord encourages Paul in this section. Then we'll see how some Jews band together to kill Paul. And then finally how Paul is sent uh, to Felix uh, in Caesarea, the, the Roman governor. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 23, verse 11 says that the following night that the Lord stood uh, by Paul. And so there had been this great dissension and uh, uh, over Paul, and Paul had been before the Jews and then before the Sanhedrin, almost scourged uh, by the Romans, and he had to be taken by force out of the Jewish council because there was a, another near riot there. And so after all of that, the Lord stood by Paul the following night, and he said, Be of good cheer, Paul, For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Let me just say this, that just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean that you won't get discouraged. Just because you're where God wants you to be does not mean that you won't have times of uh, deep emotional challenge that you go through. Paul was sharing faithfully in Jerusalem, but But consider this, he's also no longer free. Now he is basically in custody. He had nearly been lynched and two riots had broken out. So it's understandable, you know, why Paul would have been in a state uh, of being discouraged. Opposition and hardship, when you're doing what God has called you to do, even when you're doing what God has called you to do, can still be disheartening. And it seems here, based on the fact that the Lord has to tell him, be of good cheer, it seems that, that Paul was down, that Paul had, had hit a very low place in his life and, and one of those low moments. And so the Lord comes and the Lord personally encouraged him. And first of all, he affirmed that that what Paul was doing was right. Now, it's fascinating because even today there are people that question the Apostle Paul. And they look at stuff and they say, well, he shouldn't have said that and he shouldn't have done this. And, you know, so imagine how it was back then if they're doing that today. And 
knowing what we know about the scripture and about the Apostle Paul. And so, you know, people have always, even when, you know, when he was alive and even after he was gone, people have unjustifiably questioned Paul's actions. Um, but the Lord tells him that he's in the right spot. This really puts all of those naysayers to, and, and their words to rest in verse 11 because the Lord says, be of good cheer. You, you've done a good job. You've testified uh, of me in Jerusalem, and now you're going to go and you're going to do the same thing in Rome. But it isn't just people who question us, whether it was contemporaries of Paul or, or people today. It doesn't matter so much as uh, so much to him now, but uh, it's that's we also question ourselves, and I can tell you that Paul, being a human being, um, I suspect, and, and, and I'm not really going out on a limb to say it wasn't just other people that questioned him, but no doubt he had times where he questioned himself, and so the Lord reassures him. It says that the Lord stood by him. So when he was alone and many people stood against him, it says that the Lord stood by him. Praise the Lord for that. That you go through those times in life as you serve the Lord and maybe every single person will stand against you. Or a vast majority of people might stand against you. And yet, None of that matters as long as the Lord is standing by you. And the Lord was standing by the Apostle Paul. My question to you is, is <clears throat> where do you turn when you get discouraged? Where do you, get, where do you turn when you are down? Where do you turn when people or circumstances are against you? A lot of people, they turn to other people. They turn to other things. Our society has given this impression, and it's not by accident, that if you are down, something's wrong with you. Let me just tell you right now, if you get discouraged, if you get down, if you get very low, there is nothing wrong with you. It's part of being a human being. It's part of life. Life can be very painful. Life can be very confusing. Life can hurt really bad at times. Some people, they experience less of that. Sometimes it's their circumstances. Sometimes it's other things. And some people may experience more of that. But everybody is going to experience it. It's part of being a human being. And so that's what the first thing you've got to realize is, is when something happens to you or you feel a certain way and you're discouraged, it's not unusual. It, it's not extraordinary. The world wants you to think that there's something wrong with you that, that isn't happening to other people and, and, and therefore you need to go and you need special help and you need uh, medication and all these other things and you need to, to be in, in, in therapy for you know the next uh, 30 years. Let me just tell you right now that uh, you're cheating yourself if you go down that road. 
because you can turn to those things. My advice is, is uh, having seen that over and over, is that it doesn't work. Uh, oftentimes, it makes things worse. You turn to people, you get unbiblical advice. You turn to medications, and they have side effects, and they require medication on top of medication. But if you want, the Lord will stand by you. The Lord will be there with you when no one else is and when you are at your lowest places. And these other things, yes, they may have short-term effects or, or things like that, but, but we're cheating ourselves. To the extent that we turn to these other things and not to the Lord, we're robbing ourselves of an opportunity to wait on the Lord and to receive what only He can give. And, you know, you may think that your circumstances are, you know, require something extraordinary. Um, you know, I'm here to suggest to you that your circumstances are more than, uh, the Lord is more than able to meet your circumstances and to meet you in your circumstances and to help you and to stand by you in those circumstances, just as he has through every other person that turned to him. And so I'm not suggesting that if you have felt really badly, if you've tried some of these other things, that, you know, that that means there's something wrong with you, or uh, I'm just suggesting you have a choice. Right now, you have a choice. Practically going forward, how am I going to deal with, with the things that, that I have to deal with as a human being, particularly as a Christian in this world in which we live today? Because this world can be really discouraging. Who likes to see their country falling apart? I don't think anybody does. Who likes to see family members who don't know Christ and, and who are lost without Christ? Uh, you, you know, nobody likes to see that. Nobody wants to see thousands of people homeless and on the streets. I was talking about this recently, the, the migrant crisis. We have reached our capacity here in Denver. 40,000 migrants have, have come to Denver, and we can't, Denver can't handle any more migrants. You look at that and you think, you know, politics aside, you look at that and you think, that's horrible. Because these, these people have no homes. They have no jobs. In a lot of cases, they have no families. Some of them come from very uh, bad violent or criminal backgrounds and uh, you look at that and you say people that's terrible these people are without christ and you look at all of these things and you see you know all of the 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 destruction of this country and the world in the last 10 years in particular and if you weren't down before you know and you start focusing on those things you're gonna think wow man you know, what, how's there any hope? Well, imagine these people out there and they don't, they don't have Jesus Christ. They can't turn to God and t they can't be encouraged, but you can. You have a relationship with God. If you want, he stands by you and stands with you. And so Paul, here to his credit, he's in one of those places because, you know, the time in which Paul lived, yes, it was you know, quite a while ago, a couple of thousand years ago. But in many ways, the things were the same as they are today. The culture was very much the same. Nations were, were going downhill. Spiritually, it was a very dark time. 
And the Lord comes to him as he ministers in that and he stands by him. And, you know, I would tell you this, that as long as we're talking about pain and the pain that comes to humans, even to Christians, the beautiful byproduct of pain is receiving the joy that only the Lord can bring if we wait for him. The beautiful byproduct of the pain that we feel and the unique way that we can approach that as believers is that we know we go through these things, but it only means that the Lord is going to be there to bring us through to the other side. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 30 uh, and verse 5. The latter part of Psalm 30 verse 5 says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That word endure means to lodge. Weeping is despair, depression. It's like a, someone who comes and stays at your house overnight. But joy comes in, in, in the morning. It was like this morning, you know. Yesterday it's snow and all kinds of stuff and fog and everything else and 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 then you wake up to this morning and it the sky is as blue as it ever could be the snow is as white as and and clean and it's bright and you walk out and there's so much hope that's how it is with the lord you go through very dark times and those dark nights but it's a night and then joy comes in the morning. And what you've got to remember in the night is, is that joy, the Lord is going to stand by you and he's going to bring joy in the morning. All you need to do is just wait with him. Wait with him through those times. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so Paul did that. And as Paul is in that place, the Lord encourages him that, that you know, he had been faithful and he affirms that what he was doing was right. And he also tells him the plan, where he's going, he he already knew this plan. If you look back in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Paul said, I also, you know, in, in the spirit, he says, I also have to see Rome. So the Lord made it very clear that, you know, from a long time earlier that he was going to Rome. But, you know, you can get in those low moments, those times, and you can forget what the plan is. Or you can start to question the plan or wonder if the plan has changed. And the Lord says, nope, you've been doing the right thing and the plan is still the plan. The plan is still the plan. We're, we're, we're going forward because you see, that's the risk. And here's what, what happens if we don't turn to the Lord in these low times. If you turn to the world, if you turn to other things, you get stuck in that place. You get stuck in that state of depression, and God wants you, first of all, to be encouraged, but also He wants you to go forward. God is not a God of standing still. He's not a God of moving backwards. He's moving forward, and He's taking you forward as part of His plan and using you according to His plan. And so for Paul, even though he's in custody, he's still going forward. 
even, even from, you know, being imprisoned, uh, in a sense, he's still going forward with the gospel. And the Lord needs him to go forward. And the Lord needs you to go forward. And the Lord needs me to go forward. And he needs us as a church to be continually moving forward. And if we just stay in our despair and we don't allow the Lord and wait on him to come to us to revive us in those situations, then we get stuck there and we don't move forward as he intends. And so the Lord just gives him this great encouragement. And if you'll notice as we go forward here, Paul's circumstances don't change. They kind of, they just they go on like that for a long time, and, 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 and in some ways they get worse. But you know what? His perspective changed. And this morning, you may say, well, what's going to change when I leave here? Maybe, let me just tell you this, practically with the circumstances of your life, when you walk out that door today, nothing may change practically with the circumstances of your life. If you have an illness, you... You may very well, if the Lord doesn't choose to heal you while you're here, I pray that he would. But you may walk out with that illness. You'll walk out and there'll still be unsaved people in your life. You'll you'll walk out and you still may be dealing with financial issues, as a lot of people are in these days, or other kinds of issues. But I can tell you this, that you can walk out with completely different perspective. You can walk out encouraged even though your circumstances haven't changed. And it is that perspective that will allow you to move forward, not the changing of your circumstances. And so Paul here receives that encouragement from the Lord. Now verse 12, as I said, his circumstances don't really get better. Watch what happens. When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So now this conspiracy develops to, to murder the Apostle Paul. And, and so as I said, just because we wait on the Lord and we receive encouragement uh, through times of pain, it doesn't mean that that which originally caused our pain will go away. In fact, it, for Paul here, it gets worse. Verse 13 says, Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy, and they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath, that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now I can tell you this. If you wanted to lose weight in these days, this seems like a good way to do it. Bind yourself under an oath to kill the Apostle Paul. How long was it before they just said that was a really stupid oath? And they just said, why did, why did we ever do that? We're so hungry. Look how skinny you are. You know? And, and, and whose, whose idea was this? You know, to... Let's take an oath till we kill Paul. And, and, but <laughs> that's what they did. Paul wasn't dying anytime soon. Verse 15 says this, Now you therefore together with the council suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we're ready to kill him before he comes near. And when Paul's sister's son, so his nephew, heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and he told Paul, <laughs> the Lord, you know, people do these things, and, uh, but the Lord just makes sure. Paul's nephew, just this kid, 
happened to be there, happened to hear about their plans, had the courage to go and to tell Paul about it. And verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions to him and he said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. And so they take him to the commander. In verse 19, the commander takes him by the hand, went aside and he asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? Now, in verse 17, the word for young man is actually a word that was used uh, of someone up to 40 years of age. So if you're over 40, then I guess even the Bible says you're not a young man anymore. Uh, but he's obviously uh, very young because, you know, you don't usually take a 40-year-old man by the hand and, you know, take him aside to ask him questions. So he's, he's a young boy. The context reveals that. And he said, the Jews, verse 20, have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. So <clears throat> the boy does his job, and, and now uh, the commander has this information. Verse 23, he calls for two centurions. He said, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So the Roman Tribune here determined that Caesarea, which was... Uh, was kind of the, it wasn't kind of, it was the center of, of Roman uh, government and rule in Israel at this time. And so they're going to send uh, Paul down there where he'll be, he'll be much safer. It's, it's, you know, more Roman controlled, uh, less religious. Jerusalem, they, they really kind of only occupied Jerusalem to, to control um, the, the nation from a religious standpoint and to keep any rebellion down, but, but it was still very much a, a, a religious and, and a hostile place. Caesarea, a much more uh, political and, and sedate uh, place at this particular point in time. So they're going to take Paul uh, down at 9 p.m. at night with 470 men under, under the cover of darkness. They're going to take him down and away uh, from uh, harm there in Jerusalem. And so he says, provide mounts to set Paul on, bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And then he writes a letter to send with Paul Claudius Lysias uh, to the most excellent governor Felix greetings. So we get uh, our Tribune friend's name here, Claudius Lysias. He was the commander uh, of the Roman troops in Jerusalem. He sends this letter uh, to the Roman governor at the time, uh, Marcus Antonius Felix. Uh, and these are historical figures. These are people. This is why when you, you, know, when you read the Bible, the Bible uh, reveals things about history. The Bible reveals things uh, about science. The, the Bible reveals things about man and sociology and uh, anthropology and culture. And, and so as we look at the Bible, it, uh, a lot of people have this, this uh, foolish notion that the Bible is, you know, just kind of like religious poems and, and, and uh, it's like a Christian fortune cookie. You know, that's how a lot of people see, see, see the Bible. Like, oh, you just open it up and, you know, you get like Christian 
you know, Yoda-isms or something like that, you know, and, and they don't understand that, that the Bible is, is full of, uh, in particular, historical narrative, peoples and places and, and background. And so we see these two particular historical figures and characters. Now, it says verse 27, he continues on with his letter, this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Well, he leaves out the part that he was going to scourge him <laughs> until he found out he was a Roman. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't really look so good, so we won't mention that. And, uh, but he makes himself out to be the hero. Verse 28 says, When I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had, done, uh, but had nothing charged against him, deserving of death or chains. When it was told me that the Jews lay in wait... For the man I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him, farewell. So Paul was, uh, wasn't safe in Jerusalem uh, and Lysias uh, was unable to determine uh, the problem fully and then Paul being in danger, he passes him off uh, to the governor Felix and the soldiers as they <clears throat> were commanded, verse 31, took Paul brought him by night to Antipatris. Antipatris was about 40 miles um, down from Jerusalem and a little over halfway. Um, Caesarea was uh, and is about 65 miles uh, from Jerusalem, so another 25 miles uh, further. So that night and through the next day, they, the whole group of 470 men escort Paul all the way to Antipatris. Uh, and then the next day, they left uh, the horsemen to go on with Paul, but all of the soldiers returned back a uh, day and a half back to the barracks in, in, in Jerusalem, and Paul would be escorted on uh, the remainder of the journey by these horsemen. Verse 33, when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, <clears throat> I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Now, this is kind of interesting because um, Herod's praetorium was, uh, it's believed, was Herod's palace uh, there in Caesarea. And all that's, uh, all that's really left of Herod's palace uh, is his swimming pool. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's actually a, a swimming pool. Um, his palace sat uh, kind of on a, on a little bit of a rock point, and his swimming pool extended out into the ocean. It's still there today. It's in, in, in the rocks. There's, some of his palace has been kind of reconstructed. So if you look at photographs of Caesarea today, you, you have the Hippodrome uh, where they did the chariot races. It's as you're facing the ocean, it's over to the right. You have Herod's palace, and then you kind of have the, the large uh, theater uh, behind you there in Caesarea. And so Herod's palace kind of sat on this, uh, this point, and his, his pool jutted out into the ocean. And so when I read this, I just kind of laugh, and I wonder, you know, so they're keeping Paul there. Is he just living in Herod's palace, hanging out by the pool? You know, uh, ordering tacos, fish tacos. I don't know, you know. They don't have those in Israel, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, uh, falafel, they've got a whole bunch of, uh, but uh, haven't found fish tacos or guacamole uh, yet in that part of the world. It's a shame. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, he's probably being kept there in Herod's palace. And so he's in custody, but uh, he's starting to perhaps uh, be afforded a little bit of uh, pleasure and uh, we know uh, some some freedom. He was he wouldn't he wouldn't be completely confined as we'll see uh, another time as we continue on. But uh, uh, I would say this that regardless of any kind of luxuries that Paul may or may not have in, in enjoyed, he wasn't where he would pre- have preferred to be. Paul probably wouldn't have chosen to be in Caesarea at this time. Uh, probably wouldn't have chosen to be in Herod's palace. Definitely wouldn't have chosen to be in Roman custody, but the Lord is using him. The Lord is using him to witness to to Jews and now to Romans, uh, as we're going to see. And in these kind of situations, you can complain about your circumstances or you can embrace uh, your circumstances. You You can get frustrated or you can realize why the Lord has you there and then yield and allow him to work through those circumstances. And so you say, well, how do I do that? I got earlier what you said about how I, I can be in discouraging situations and, and I can wait on the Lord uh, to, to change my perspective and, and to be the lifter of my head and to encourage me. But, but how can I go into a situation that I don't want to be in and, and be okay with it? Well, we have to develop that mindset of being a bondservant of Christ. Of this idea that I am living to do what I want to do and for me... We have to get to the place where we're comfortable and, and able in the Spirit to dispense with that. And now we are voluntarily slaves of Christ. And when you begin to think of yourself in that way, you know, if I'm a servant of Christ, it's, it's not about where I want to be. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about what makes me comfortable. It's about being a good servant, about being a faithful servant. Paul many times talks about being a a bond servant of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he begins that uh, letter by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So Paul chose to be a slave because he was, number one, called to be somebody sent forth with the gospel, and because he was separated to that same gospel. He was set apart to that. And so the question is this morning, have have you been set apart to the Lord? Have you been called to serve Him? If so, a prerequisite to that is, is that you choose to be his bondservant. Paul also mentions over in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, the 10th verse. He says, Do I now persuade men or God? Or 
Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul wasn't trying to please himself. Paul wasn't trying to please other people. Paul was only serving one master. He was a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. And so as bondservants, we go where he sends us. And if we'll let him, he will encourage us and we can go with joy and we can go with his strength and we can anticipate great things that God is going to do. And a lot of people might look at that and might think, well, I don't, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be anybody's slave. Well, guess what? You can be God's slave. He's a very good master. Or if you don't, Whether you realize it or not, you'll be somebody else's slave. You can be a slave to your own flesh. You can be a slave to the world. And you'll be a slave without Christ to sin. And so what you discover is is that that is a very unfulfilling, that is a, a, a life that is truly subject to bondage. But as the Lord's slaves, while we don't make our own choices, he makes them for us, we find freedom. There is freedom for the Lord's slaves. And so you've got to understand uh, what exactly this means and and understand the alternatives. And and when we do, we gladly choose to be bondservants of Christ. You know, God can allow difficult circumstances. God often does allow difficult circumstances in our lives Uh, in order to work through us. The work that the Lord was going to do required that Paul be in this situation. But in order for Paul to be in that situation, he had to have the right mindset. He had to receive encouragement from the Lord because these potentially were discouraging situations. And he had to have dispensed with this idea That life was about doing what he wanted to do and fulfilling his desires and ambitions. The important thing we discover as believers is to be right where God wants us to be. And then to allow him to encourage, allow him to protect and to preserve us, allow him to to direct us. And, And it's It's when we embrace these things that our life truly opens up for the Lord. We can truly walk with joy and we can truly fulfill all His purpose in us and all that He's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we, as we open Your Word here this morning, Lord, we all go through times of discouragement. May you stand by us. We all go through times of being discontented with our circumstances. May you make us bond servants. And Lord, may we fulfill your will with all joy and purpose. May we move forward in you. Keep us moving forward in you. As our heads are bowed in prayer this morning, 
if you've come here this morning. Maybe you haven't been to church all that much in your life or maybe you've been quite a lot. Regardless, if you come this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is what is needed. That is what is essential. And ultimately, that decision is what life is really all about. Deciding whether or not you'll give your life to Christ, whether or not you'll receive Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins, whether your sins will be forgiven, whether you'll spend an eternity with God or apart from God in hell. Getting that sorted out is what life is all about. That is the fundamental decision of life. And you're either for Christ, as he said, or you're against him. And so whether you're religious or not, it, ultimately it doesn't matter. What matters is what have you done? What do you say about Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And if you've come here this morning and God has been speaking to your heart, the Spirit has been drawing you to himself, then, then I say complete that journey. Give your life to Christ. Surrender to him this morning. Jesus said you'll be born again. You'll be born anew. You'll have this spiritual, you're dead if without Christ in the spirit. And you'll have this spiritual birth. You'll have someone who will stand by you. You'll have someone who calls you to be his servant. Whom you can walk with and serve with confidence and with joy. And who will never leave you. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, I'd like to pray with you right now. And I invite you to raise your hand where you're sitting so we can pray together. And I want you to know this, that God will hear your prayer. God bless you. Anybody, if you're here, anybody else, God is speaking to your heart. You know if he is. You take this opportunity. If you're watching online, God is speaking to you. You can pray as well. Let's pray right now. If you didn't raise your hand, but you want to give your life to Christ, you pray too. God hears your prayer. And you can pray something like this. Pray along with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from you. And I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of my sin. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and to die in my place. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he's seated at your right hand and that he's coming back for us. And so I receive his sacrifice. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you that I'm free. I ask you to give me your spirit to strengthen me and to help me live for you. And I thank you that I belong to you now. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.
And Father, we thank you for those who have prayed this morning. We know that the angels in heaven rejoice when we turn to you. And so may they be strengthened in you. May all your people be strengthened in you and in your spirit. May you keep them. May you use them. And may your joy be their strength. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.